This is a great psalm about music. Psalm 98, great psalm about music. The Bible says, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of a psalm, with trumpets and sound of coronet. Make a joyful noise before the Lord the King. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he cometh to judge the earth with righteousness shall he judge the world and the people with equity. Isaac's first hymn, but not his last. He goes on to write and compose more than 600 hymns, hundreds of poems before he died in 1748. Uh, there were many in that day that, uh, that were, they didn't like what, what Watts was doing. Uh, and they called the, the, the things and the poems and the hymns that he wrote, they, they, they called them Watts' whims um, because they thought they were too flighty or, or, or not serious enough uh, for, for what they were doing. Uh, so we see that he was a poet. Uh, then next we also see that, that he was a minister at age 26, a little further in his life. Uh, his, his music, his written sermons are spreading rapidly. He had fans uh, maybe not like our, our social media craze is today, but he had fans. Uh, one lady wrote him through letters and uh, actually proposed to him. Her name was Elizabeth Springer, and she proposed marriage to him. Isaac accepted, uh, but when she met him, she jumped, jumped off the train, uh, jumped back on the train and went home. And she writes this about Isaac Watts. Here it is. He was only five feet tall with a shallow face and hooked nose. Prominent cheekbones, small eyes, and a death-like color. After that, he never married. <laughs> right? That's a horrible thing to be said about a person. Uh, but he poured himself into ministry and study after that. Uh, but uh, it didn't work out for him with Elizabeth Springer. And then we see, we, we, we go uh, and talk further. Watts was born. He was raised during a time of plague, uh, a time of uncertainty. His town of Southampton Hampton was still decimated from bubonic plague that had killed over 100,000 people in London a decade before. That's just 80 miles away. Families had been torn apart. Uh, there was a lot of poverty, economic uncertainty. Uh, and then he was also raised during a time when there was great pressure to conform. The Ang Anglican Church uh, put great pressure on everyone to conform to their order of worship. Uh, Isaac, his family, and his church were part of the nonconformist movement uh, away from the ritual, ritual of the Church of England. Uh, and, and, you know, these nonconformist churches and, and Christians believed that each church should have the freedom to worship God according to the Scriptures and not bound to the Anglican system. 
And so we see that there was persecution as, as well in that time. Persecution of the Christian faith. Many nonconformists suffered persecution of their faith. Isaac's father, even when Isaac was born, uh, was in jail. Uh, when he was born, he would continue to be in and out of prison, uh, exile for the rest of his life. Uh, but Isaac lived in a time of uncertainty, uh, a time of great pressure to conform, a time of persecution for the Christian faith. And you think, and you bring that back to, to kind of full circle, 2020, and you think, okay, a time of plague, a time of religious and polit- political conformity, uh, a time of persecution. We can kind of ch- check off each of those items uh, in 2020. Uh, we've got plague. We've got uh, religious, uh, maybe we flip it, maybe it's not religious political co- conformity, maybe it's political religious conformity. Uh, but we see a time uh, of, of this happening. We see a time of persecution. But in the midst of this, He writes joy to the world. And he writes joy to the world, not because it's easy, easy times for him, uh, but because he's read the scripture. He read the New Testament. He knows the end of the story. He had faith in God. He had faith in the word of God. Let's take a look now at Psalm 98 to kind of see where he gets this drive from. See where he gets uh, his drive to write joy to the world. Uh, but knowing that he takes uh, the scripture and, and, and bases his song off of the scripture uh, rather than, you know, what might be happening in, in current uh, political culture or even even religious culture, uh, he goes back to the word of God. Uh, and so we see Psalm 98, this royal psalm. Uh, so we'll talk about jo- Psalm 98 now. Joy to the world, based on Psalm 98, one theologian writes about Psalm 98 and says this. He says, one cannot read this psalm without being a happier man without lofty views of God, without feeling that he is worthy of universal praise, without recognizing that he is in a world where the mind should be joyful, that he is under the dominion of a God whose reign should fill the mind with gladness. Charles Spurgeon said of the psalm in his Treasury of David, he said, The song is worthy to rank among the most devout and soul-stirring of sacred lyrics. The psalm is nine verses. It's made up of three stanzas, and we can call, we're going to name these stanzas for today, but we're going to talk about verses one through three as God, as Savior of His people. Four through six, as God, as King over all the earth. And then finally, seven through nine tells us to rejoice in God as Judge over all the nations. So let's jump in to the verses again here. Take a look at verses one through three. This is the fact that we should rejoice in God as Savior of His people. Uh, so we take a look at the first stanza here. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says this, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The psalm begins simply by saying, sing to the Lord a new song, a new song. Listen, this morning, God always deserves our praise. But that doesn't change the fact that God still wants to do more for us and he still wants to give us new victories. The word new in verse 1 is directly related to the fact that there is a victory. We see that victory. God is always giving victory and doing this new thing in the lives of people. And so He's also, also, always deserving of a new song of praise. 
Yes, we praise Him all the time, and we should. He deserves our praise constantly. But He also deserves our new songs of praise. It's ironic. Joy to the World was one of those new songs when Isaac Watts first wrote it based on the psalm. That's a commonplace song for us today, but it was a new song for Isaac Watts. Metrically, philosophically, spiritually speaking, through a hard time, but still writing the song of joy, the song, Joy to the World. Listen, when you put your faith in Christ this morning, you become a new creation, and you too can sing the new song. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The text goes on. He has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. Israel's victories never came about by their own strength. But they understood that it was God and his power who delivered them. In the same way, God works in our salvation for us through Christ on the cross. Our victories are not our own. God blesses us in our lives and ultimately blesses us because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. He blessed us with, his, with the ultimate gift of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. So we see that uh, the, the verses teach us that, uh, that God gives us the victory. God gives us the victory. Moving on, verse 2 says this, The Lord hath made known His salvation. His righteousness, righteousness hath He openly showed in the sight of the heathen. Verse 3, He hath remembered His mercy and His truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. God's purpose in saving Israel was always that all the nations might come to know that He is God. You think about that, and you think about the Bible, you think about even all of history, all, all of everything that has ever taken place, it is really a doxological idea. And doxological, that's just simply saying uh, and understanding that the purpose of all creation and the reason for our salvation is that so we can glorify God in everything. Glorification of God is the idea of, of, of doxology. The last phrase, it says this, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. Uh, God's covenant love and faithfulness was not just to his people Israel in the Old Testament, but also to his people in the church in the New, New Testament. Because of his love for the New Testament church, it is all for all, all for, uh, for all who believe. For all who believe. So we see verses 1, through 1 2, and 3, re rejoicing in God as Savior uh, of us. Okay, Savior of his people. And then we see next, uh, rejoice in God as King over all the earth as king over all the earth. Uh, verse 4 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp to hear the, uh, uh, and the voice of a psalm. I think it's interesting. It says, Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of the psalm. He repeats the phrase, with the harp. Uh, I think that's because they're, they're trying hard to, to, to play over the trumpets. I don't, I don't know. But it's interesting that he repeats that phrase. Uh, we, we needed more harps, I guess. Uh, with the trumpets and the sound of the cornet, make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. So we finish off verse 6. The theme of the stanza here is clear. God is King over all the earth. And so all the earth should shout for joy to Him. Uh, this group is probably a little bit more reserved when it comes to uh, 
you know, your kids' sporting events or your professional sports teams or other th- things that maybe you put time and effort into. Uh, you know, you're, you're not jumping up and down in front of the TV screen, are you? In, in, in cheering or in anger, I would, I would hope, anyway. Um, maybe for cheering, but uh, hopefully not for anger. Um, b- but I wonder if you ever did have an event that took place in your life uh, where there was something that was just so exciting that you literally jumped up and down, or you literally shouted out with praise. Um, and, and I wonder if, if that has ever taken place, um, you know, for you, for something, a job uh, promotion, or a new job, or, you know, maybe it's when uh, your, your, uh, your girlfriend said yes, and she became your fiancé, uh, you know, whatever the case might be, it, maybe there was something that took place in your life where you were just that excited, that excited, I wonder if we read verses 4 through 6 and if we would have that same kind of excitement. And you think about uh, David here when he wrote the psalm. I wonder if he wrote the psalm, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. No, he sure didn't. Right? Pastor's been teaching me. Uh, how to read with inflection. And, and uh, I, I love when pastor reads the Bible because he, you, you hear the emphasis behind what's, what's being said. Um, but if we read this maybe a little bit more clearly in a, in a way that it should be written, it would be, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Amen. Right? I mean, just saying it that way puts a smile on my face. You just have to. You just have to smile. When you read this psalm, but we see that we're not only to, to, to shout for joy, but also to burst into jubilant song with music here. We should be so filled with joy in God as our king that we can no longer contain it. This is not a forced joy, but rather a joy that is so full that it forces its way out of us. You, you can put it on, but is it inside? Is it coming out from your heart? Here the whole earth Everyone on earth is instructed to shout for joy to the Lord. Every voice is summoned. The whole orchestra is enlisted to sing God's praises. The stringed instruments, even the viola, right? Now, I have, I mean, a little side note, because Pastor mentioned it earlier. I have had a hard time with viola in my past because I used to have to teach it. That's a hard instrument to teach um, because I mean, it, it, was, it was created in like the mid-1500s, maybe a little bit more before that. Mid 1500. It's an old instrument. It's it's like alto clef. It's not even te- it's not treble clef or bass clef. That's normal. Okay, alto clef. Violas are violists. It's just a hard thing to do. Heather, I don't understand. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to do. But even the violas. Now I lost my place. There it is. The stringed instruments joined the song in verse five. The wind instruments joined the song in verse six. Harps and voices and trumpets and horns rise together in jubilant song as the whole earth rejoices in God as king. And it's interesting because we, we sound the trumpets. We sound the trumpets for earthly kings. We sound the trumpets. We, we have pomp and circumstance for, for sports uh, and, and TV and movie uh, stars and cel- cel- uh, celebrities. Um, but how much more should we have that for Jesus Christ? He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is King over all the earth. We need to rejoice in Him as such. We need to be excited 
when we're reading the Word of God. We need to be excited when God blesses us in our lives. We need to be excited when we come to church and be awake to do so. Uh, we need to have that joy in coming into church. We need to have that joy in our lives because of Jesus Christ who has done marvelous works uh, in our lives. And then letter C, uh, rejoice in God, God as judge over all the nations. We saw rejoice in God as Savior of His people. We saw rejoice in God as king over all the earth. And now we're finally seeing here uh, the last few verses in Psalm 98. Rejoice in God as judge over the nations, over all the nations. Verse 7, let the sea roar and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he cometh to judge the earth with righteousness. Shall he judge the world and the people with equity. So the first stanza, we're told to rejoice in the Lord. The second stanza, all the people of the earth are told to rejoice in the Lord. And now here in verse 7, 8, 7 and 8, all creation is told to rejoice in the Lord. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The word roar is a word that means a thunder that resounds. You've heard the thunder resound before. I've, been, I've seen some pretty amazing storms uh, we experienced one driving across the, the top part of Texas. I think it was Route 40, I don't know, 20, something like that. One of those lower tens. Um, but, you know, we saw one of those, and you see and you hear the thunder that roar, a thunder that resounds. The floods clap their hands. Think of the mighty waves rushing uh, down a river or through some rapids, uh, crashing into each other like the clapping of hands. The hills be joyful together, or as Charles Spurgeon calls it, the song of the seas and the hallelujah of the hills. And why does all creation sing together for joy? The answer is because the Lord is coming as judge over all the nations. He will judge all evil in the world, and He will make all things right. When the Lord comes as judge, He restores all things, including creation, which is why creation joins in the chorus of praise. Terrorist organizations will be no more. False religions will be exposed. Every violation of God's law will be judged. Romans 14 and Philippians 2 tell us every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord when He returns as judge over all the nations. And the psalm finishes by saying this, He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. So when God comes to judge, He will judge in absolute fairness. He's all-knowing, so He knows all the particulars of every situation. He's all-just, so He will always make the right decisions. He is all-powerful, so he's able to execute the proper judgments against sin. And he is all-loving, and so he has provided a way of escape for his people who have put their trust in him. Psalm 98 tells us to rejoice in God as Savior of his people, as King over all the earth, and as Judge over all the nations. So we've looked at Isaac Watts. We've looked at Psalm 98, and now we're going to take those and put them together and talk about joy to the world. Let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 says this, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. This is based on the middle, of, uh, of, middle stanza of Psalm 98, Rejoice in God as king over the earth. Here the whole world is encouraged to rejoice that Christ has come and to receive him as their king. The line, let every heart prepare him room, may be a subtle reference to Luke 2.7 where it says, She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And laid him in a manger, 
because there was no room for them in the inn. It may also be one of the reasons that this song became known as a Christmas carol to begin with. Okay, then we look at verse 2. Verse 2 reads this. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. This verse uh, re- re- corresponds uh, to Psalm 98, verse 7 and 8, where all creation is asked to join in the song. The fields, the floods, the rocks, the hills, the plains. In, the, in verse 1 of the carol, what is Christ, uh, what's called Christ Lord and King? Here in verse 2, the carol, he calls him Savior. Uh, this ties in with, the Christ- with Christmas through the angel's announcement in Luke 2.11, where the angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then we get to verse 3. We're almost through. This is halfway through. Uh, verse 3 says this, No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Did you ever get confused by that last line? Far as the curse is found? I was thought it's such a nice song. We're singing such a, I mean, these words are, are wonderful. And then all of a sudden we're singing, far as the curse is found, far as, and we have to repeat it. I don't, it's, it's just, it doesn't sound pretty, but it's really neat. Listen, listen to this. Let me, let me jump in here though. It's, uh, it corresponds to the first two verses of Psalm 98, God making his salvation known to all the nations. But the last line for all, for, for as the curse is found, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God put a curse on all creation. Genesis 3, verse 17, it says, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. And then it describes this, uh, what has taken place. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So we see this idea of, uh, of the ground being cursed. And now that Christ has come, the curse is reversed. When Christ returns a second time, the curse will be eliminated. So we, we see, we read this verse again. Uh, no more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Where is the curse found? Wherever man is. Wherever man is. That's where the curse is. Uh, and, and it's going to be reversed. Uh, when Christ returns a second time, the curse will be eliminated. There's no more thorns infesting the ground, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. We, we read in Romans 8.21, it says, Because the creature itself also shall be deli- delivered from the bondage of corruption and to the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's us. We will be delivered, uh, the verse says. And then we finally get to, to stanza four, Enjoy to the world. The verse 4 says, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. The final verse in the carol corresponds to verses 3 and verse 9 in Psalm 98, which says this, All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God, and then also says He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. 
Okay, the New Testament, we read John 1.17, where it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So we see truth emphasized uh, in the Old Testament verses, and then we see grace emphasized in John 1.17, as we just read. Uh, God judges the world in absolute truth and fairness, yet he also gives us grace through, uh, through Jesus Christ, who paid the full penalty for, of sin uh, for us on the cross. So we see this. We see the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. We've seen Isaac Watts. We've seen Psalm 98. We've taken a look at, at Joy to the World, the actual carol there. Uh, and, and we ask ourselves, what is this carol all about? What, is this ver- uh, this, these wor- what are these words all about, Joy to the World? Uh, it's, it's similar. It's the same as Psalm 98, uh, but now applied to Jesus coming into the world. So we, we look at the end of this message, the end of this idea. Joy to the World. Why? Because God sent Jesus into the world to be our Savior. Why? Because Jesus is a good and righteous king over all the earth. Joy to the world. Why? Because Jesus is returning as judge over all the nations. He will judge all sin and wickedness. He will make all things right, including the beautiful creation that he made by the power of his world. Uh, word. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. We, we take a look at Watts' life. and What's the application? Hey, in the midst of plague, in the midst of persecution, political conformity, and personal trial, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Psalm 98, we take a look at that, and what's the application? It says, sing a new song, God our Savior. It says, be excited about God, God our King. And then it says, know that we will be judged fairly, God our judge over the nations. Joy to the world is a celebration of all of what God is in spite of ourselves, our circumstances, our environment, and our trial. I hope that was an encouragement this morning to you and and just even learning about Watts' life. And and I just feel like we identify with what Watts was going through even in this day. Um, And and I I pray that we can take that uh, example of what he was and and live it out in our own lives. In Psalm 98 and and the verses of 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 the song as well.